scripture is going to be from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and 9 through 18, and then chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of His grace and truth. John bore, bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He was made and known. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All right. Welcome to RUF. My name is Brian Sorgan Fry. I'm uh, the new campus minister here. Let me, uh, let me pray and let's get, let's get started. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. Um, it's hot in here. Uh, it's crowded. Uh, and we, uh, we, we'll bring our distractions. We'll bring our struggles. We'll bring our confusion in this place and trust that you can meet us in it. So would you meet us uh, through your word and remind us uh, tonight uh, that God really is good. And we can see that in the face of Jesus. In your son's name I pray. Amen. All right. I'll start off by talking about in, uh, in the 1960s, there was this uh, horrific crime that's actually become famous. Uh, it was the murder of Kitty Genovese. I, I think I actually remember reading a case study of this back when I was at Ole Miss. And the reason it became famous was because it was so public and the public's response to it. Because what ended up happening was she, uh, she got involved in a, a robbery that turned into assault and then eventually turned into a murder. But what made the headlines was the fact that people estimate up to 38 witnesses were around. It was very public. People in their apartments, people uh, on the other street, they heard the screams, they heard the struggle, and nobody did anything. No one called the police. No one tried to get involved. And so as they came back and they they interviewed the people, some, some news reporters, some of the police, here's what they found. Is that everybody said... I just thought somebody else would do something. And then one person in particular was very honest and said, to be honest, I just didn't want to get involved. Think about that. People heard someone's cry for help, and they just didn't want to get involved. And I I realize that's an extreme example, and I, I, I hope some people in here would respond differently, but you get that, right? That at the core, to be involved with someone It's kind of scary because it's going to cost you something. Here, they thought this might actually cost my life if I get involved. We know getting involved with anything 
is going to cost you something, right? You've been assaulted <laughs> these first few weeks with organizations asking you to be involved, right? Like RUF shamelessly throwing itself at you. And you kind of do this thing like, well, what's it going to cost me? How much time? How much emotional time? Is it worth it? And all of you in this room, to some degree, are all meeting people. And this is most pronounced in freshmen, but everybody's feeling it. And you're just asking. You're hoping. Will someone get involved with my life this year? And we put this best foot forward, hoping that someone will say it's worth it. And only on the other side will they find out that it actually costs them something, because I'm awkward or whatever. But that's what we want. And we begin our study of the Gospel of John tonight, this Gospel that's written by one of Jesus' best friends. And John tells us, the, the reason that he wrote this is he wants you to know this, that Jesus, the person that he walked with, the person he touched, the person that uh, he listened to, that Jesus is God. But he's the person who heard our cry and he wants to be involved with you. He wants to bring life to you. And it'll be at great cost to himself. But that's who he is. And so all I'm going to do with you tonight is just look quickly, because the realize is hot, at how G- John asks us to meet Jesus in the opening of his book. That Jesus is the one who chose to get involved. And so he wants to see that Jesus is God, that Jesus is human, and what our response to Jesus is. Okay, first... Jesus is God. This is verse 1 through 4. John opens his gospel in the same way the whole Bible opens. If you flip to the beginning of the Bible, if you've ever been there, the first book of Genesis, the opening lines are in the beginning. And so John reaches way back and asks you to consider what existed before anything was ever created. What existed before Genesis 1-1? And John says this, before there was anything, there was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now, if you're familiar with Genesis, it's okay if you're not, you might remember that God brings everything into existence by speaking words. Right? He says, let there be light. And there is light. And so God creates by His powerful Word. And here, John says that the Word, the, the one who by all things were made, is actually a person. That that word, that person is, did you hear it, distinct from God, but that person is also God. And you're starting to see the glimmers of what historic Christianity is called the Trinity. That God is one God, three persons. He's a Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so John's point here, though, is he wants us to know that the one this whole semester that we're going to interact with through the Gospel of John, this Jesus of Nazareth, He is God Himself. He's the Word. The second person of the Trinity. And look, maybe that isn't information to uh, to you. Probably not. Some of you, uh, maybe it is. Maybe Maybe it's new information. But I want you to consider that claim under two things first. First, think about the insane number of people that you've met this week. Like insane. And usually what's happening in this meeting, whether it's in the dorm room or in the class or in the grove... Every conversation pretty much goes like this. Well, hey, what's your name? My name's Brian. Where are you from? I'm from Jackson. Uh, fill in the blank. Where'd you go to high school? What do you do? You start articulating who you are by your words, right? Because there are some things that, so, that people would never know about you unless you spoke it. And so your words are actually an expression of who you are, right? You're so-and-so. 
from Jackson, from Prep, right? Isn't everyone from there? Um, and it's because that's a revelation of you. And so when we're told that Jesus, think about this, is the Word of God, here's what it means. Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus is the self-expression of who God is. God reveals Himself to us in Jesus. Which means if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Right? That's what verse 18 says. No one has ever seen God, yet the only God who is at the Father's side, that's the Word, that's Jesus, He has made Him known. See, what John is saying is that if you want to know who God is, if you want to know what He's like, the one who made everything, who's eternal, who's, who's powerful, who's infinite, the answer is always Jesus. That Jesus is God made visible. That Jesus is the God that you can know. And I put that before you because, look, there are going to be all kinds of notions of who God is or what He's like that's going to be put before you in college, whether that's from professors whether that's from circumstances, whether that's from even your own feelings and thoughts about who God is. But John is saying this. Whatever notion of God, whatever assumption you have about God, it has to fit with who Jesus is. Or it's not true. If you want to know God, here's, here's my uh, kind of metaphor for you. If you want to know God, you've got to develop a Jesus filter. You know what a filter is? Like, I... If you've ever pulled in for an oil change like I do, and they, they tell you you always need to replace your air filter, right? And that always happens to me because I, I have no idea about cars or mechanics or anything like that. And so what I try, I drive in and I always try to fake it, right? So I pull in and the mechanic will say, hey, uh, hey, bud, how long has it been since you uh, changed your air filter? And I fake it. I say, you know, I don't think it's been that long. He goes, really? Really? And then he pulls it out and he shows it to me and it's like gray and there's dirt and there's you know lint he says really not too long and see wow that's that's surprised i act surprised and and what he shows me is that the filter did its job right what did the filter do as air started entering the engine all the stuff that would be bad for it, the dirt the lint it gets filtered out so that only air comes in and see when john introduces us to jesus as the word the perfect expression of God, the one who has made God known because He is God come to us, that's your filter. Because any assumption or any notion that you have about God, run it through the Jesus filter. And if it's not like Jesus, let it filter that bad stuff out. So look, I, at least this happened at Mississippi State, I guarantee you at some point this year there will be some group that comes to campus with megaphones, they'll be screaming about how God hates those people and all kinds of stuff, okay? And people will get angry and tensions will rise. Maybe they come to the grove, I don't know. And here's what I'm telling you. Run that through the filter of Jesus. Does that feel and sound like Jesus? If not, it's a false God. It's not who he is. Or some of you, you've already made, uh, you've already made choices this week. That you said, I thought I'd never do that. I thought I'd never do what I did. And you woke up the next morning and you started to reflect. And here's the notion that entered your head. I'm ashamed of myself. And I know God's ashamed of me. There's no way he wants to be with me. Is that the real God? Run it through the Jesus filter. 
Because when you start examining who Jesus is, Jesus always moves tenderly towards people who are broken and full of shame. Filter that out. It's a false view of God. You can just keep going and going. When, when someone tells you or you feel the notion that if, if I'm going to be good with God, I've just got to work harder, be a better Christian, read my Bible more, be more disciplined, that'll make me okay with God. Is that who God is? Put it through the Jesus filter. He's the one who says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Let Jesus filter it out. And that brings us to, I think, the second way that Jesus being God matters. That if Jesus is God, that means the one who, according to this passage, wants to get involved with you is God himself. The one who knows all things. The one who is all-powerful. The one who has heard your cry. He knows you better than you know yourself. That's pretty interesting if you think about it. Because we're going to come back to this again and again in RUF and definitely again tonight. But whether you've come to admit it or not, and many times college is the first time that you stare this into the face. We are really messed up. All of us in this room. And that might offend you, but we are broken. And because of that, we are in need of healing or fixing, as we say in the South. And who or what is going to heal our brokenness? It's going to be the one who made you. Because he knows you. He knows how you're supposed to work. Right? I, I've already called the person who, built, who built our house four or five times. You know why? Because he designed it. He knows what it's supposed to be like. If Jesus knows you better than you know yourself, then healing might come in trusting him and not yourself. He designed you. He knows how you're supposed to work. But then that creates this function, right? Uh, this question, right? If Jesus is God... And he knows how broken I really am. He knows me better than I know myself. How does he get involved with my life? And it's verse 14. Jesus is human. See, John spends these 13 verses unpacking the fact that Jesus is God himself so that you'll feel the weight of this statement. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt, it means tabernacle, which also brings back this Old Testament picture of how God would dwell in the wilderness with his people in this tent, in this fire, in the smoke. But here this is saying that if God is Jesus, how does Jesus get involved? The eternal, infinite God, 2,000 years ago, he takes on flesh, a human body, and he becomes a baby. With all the full human DNA of of a Jewish boy, So the God who upholds the world makes himself vulnerable to pain. Think about that. The God who creates food makes himself dependent on food. The one who we are going to interact with all all the semester through the gospel is fully God and fully man. He hears our cry and he comes into the very world that he created. The one that we have broken and he lives among us. Why? Look, um... TiVo and Netflix, they've pretty much nixed commercials out of our life. However, the good ones you still see, right? And still, same 20 years ago as this today, the best, the best commercial makers are beer, right? They know how to do it. And still one of my favorite ones is this, uh, it's probably a few years ago, it's this Guinness beer commercial. And the scene is this, is this basketball court. And everybody's playing, but everybody's in a wheelchair playing wheelchair basketball. And so you're seeing how hard it is, how intense it is, how exhausting it is. People are trying to dribble, trying to score, but everybody's having fun. 
And then, do you remember this? Then at the end of the game, it shows nine people get out of their wheelchair and shake hands with one. And that moment, right, you, you hear someone say dedication, loyalty, friendship. The choices we make reveal the true nature of our character. At that point, you start crying, right? And you realize, like, I'm crying at Guinness beer alone on a Saturday night. And this, that's okay. But what gets you about that? Is you saw a group of people make a choice that they limited themselves to a wheelchair. Why? So they could get on their friend's level. So they could enjoy being with him. So they could know what it's like to be him. And that choice expressed the character of his, of their, of his friends, right? Well, what does the incarnation, which is the, the big word for God becoming man, what does that show us about God's character? He takes on a human body, not just for a basketball game, but for 33 years of his life. And actually, Jesus still is united to a body today. What does God becoming man show you about the character of God and how he's going to heal and restore us in this world? It must mean that he's loving. It must mean that he is relational at his core because he wants to be with us. He is going to heal us. Not by standing far apart, uh, apart from us, but through a loving relationship with you. He comes down to your level. And so think about that. If the, if the God that you know in your experience, think about this, is, is wrath, is a God of wrath. And look, God does have holy hatred of sin. But if that's who God is, how do you expect that God to enter this world and you experience him? Probably this. Like he's just waiting for you to mess up. And he'll just open the heavens and cast down some sort of, I don't know, suffering, lightning, fire. And he's just always angry at you. Of course. That's how he would, that's how he would come. Or if all you know is that God is, is knowledge, that that's your experience of him, that he's just kind of these facts that you have to memorize and, and get right. Well, how would that God come into this world and, and, and intervene and be involved in your life? He would drop a book out of heaven and say, here, just memorize this. Memorize these facts. But God enters the world by taking on human flesh. He comes to us as a baby. Which means his essential characteristic is love. That he's relational. He's merciful. He's committed to you so much that he takes on a human body. To unite himself to you. The way that Jesus is going to bring life is he doesn't like, he doesn't uh, throw this thing called life down from heaven. He comes to be with you, to heal you through relationship. And he says, that's life. And I think all of you in the, in the room know something about that. This is why some of you, when she finally goes out with you this year, it feels like life. Your, your, your roommates will be annoyed at you because you're so giddy. Because it tasted like life because somebody wanted to be with you. And see, the one who made the world, the Word Himself, Jesus, He heard our cry and He becomes involved by becoming human. So how do we respond? I'll end here. This is verse 9 through 13. Look what John says. Jesus the light comes into the world, the very world that was made through Him. And how did humanity respond to this unbelievable act of God's love? How did, how, did, how did we respond to God becoming human? We loved it, right? No. 
we weren't so appreciative and drawn to Jesus. It says the world did not know him. His own people did not receive him. Look, that's a very brief, we'll say gentle way to describe what we're going to see in the Gospels, the way people treat Jesus. Because Jesus will be constantly rejected, misunderstood, mocked, spit upon, stripped naked, tortured, and eventually left to die on a cross. I want you to consider that. Because if you're like me, a lot of times I look around and I think, you know, I think if the God of the Bible is the real God, like he could make himself known a little bit better. Right? Why don't more people believe in him? Right? Why isn't he more loving? And realize this. God showed up in a way that was beyond people's wildest imaginations. He takes on a human body. The creator visits his creatures and his creatures kill him. That's who humanity is. That God showed up in an incredibly loving act and we killed him. Which means the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. We don't like Jesus. We don't want him to be true. We don't want the real God. As we interact with the Word become flesh, as we interact with Jesus, look, we are going to see, and this isn't always fun to see, our hearts are a whole lot more wicked than we think. But look at verse 16. In Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Don't you see it? I'm telling you, if you keep coming to RUF, Jesus being involved with you means that you will see, yes, I promise, on the one hand, I am and you are more wicked and selfish and manipulative than you ever thought. Yes, even after you're a Christian. But, here's what else we'll see. There's grace upon grace in Jesus. The one who heard your cry and got involved has never-ending grace. It never runs out. It's his character. His character is giving us what we do not deserve. Giving us himself, which involves forgiveness and everything else. And so back in March of 1864, there was a priest named Father Damien. And he did what nobody else would do. He moved to Hawaii to serve as a missionary to to a leper colony. A very contagious disease back in those days. And for 16 years, he lived in their midst. He learned to speak their language. He bandaged their wounds. He embraced their bodies that nobody else would touch. He organized schools, bands, choirs. He built homes so they could have a, have a shelter. He built 2,000 coffins by hand to care for the lepers who were dying left and right. People say that because of this man's work, the, the village finally became known as a place to live rather than die. But what, what people in that village would talk about was the, was the turning point or the climax was one time he was standing before them preaching a sermon. And he would be with them. He wouldn't wash his hands before he was with them. He just wanted to be with them. And he stood up and he said, we lepers. And everybody realized he had what they had. He wasn't just helping them. He had become one of them. And from that day forward, he knew exactly what it was like to be in their skin. He willingly chose to live the life they would live and die the death they they were going to die. 
Remember we said the question of involvement in somebody's life is always this. How much is it going to cost me? Is it really worth it? And look, at the cross, you see exactly what God is like. God is like Jesus hanging on a cross to be with people that hate him. How much does God want to be with you? How much is he willing for it to cost him to be involved in your life? It's farther than being a baby. It's farther than becoming poor. It's even farther than being beaten and tortured. He identifies so closely with us that he goes to the cross and he says to you and me, we lepers. And he identifies himself so close to me that he wears my sin and your sin and all those who receive him. And he's the only one who's never, who, who has never actually sinned. And he says, yeah, give it to me. Give me your sin and I'll take this punishment. That's how Jesus, the God-man, brings life. By giving his life for you. And he says, now we're in this together. That's why the posture of the Christian life, it's not doing, it's just receiving. Isn't that what John said? To those who have received. And this is what RUF hopes to be. This is how I'll finish. RUF hopes to be a community on this campus that is for you, that cares for you, that that loves you not because of what you can do for us, but loves you because, well, we hope every week you hear about who God is, that he's Jesus, that he is the God who at infinite cost to himself at infinite cost to himself, came to win you. And he thought it well worth his while. Well worth his while. Because he wants to heal you and be with you and bring life. Because it's grace upon grace. Now, if that's true, would it not, baby, be worth your time to, to show up week after week and see if Jesus really is alive? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word revealing uh, to us what we would never otherwise know. That the word is a person. And he came to dwell among us. And he wants to be with us. And so would you, would you give us the grace that we don't deserve. The grace to, to just say that we need you. And believe that somehow you'll show up in our broken and bruised lives and begin to heal us. In your son's name I pray. Amen.